Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I'm Ronan Gain, and joining me as always is my boy Christian Nambu. Please remember you can watch all episodes on YouTube now as well as listening wherever you get your podcast. We are free and available on all platforms. Today we are discussing the Washington Wizards and the New York Knicks, the last two teams Woo! in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> I've been I've been putting this off for as long as possible, hoping that when we did talk about them, we would uh, be talking about the Knicks having Donovan Mitchell on their roster. But that is not <laughs> the case. But we'll we'll put them off for just a little bit because we gotta start with those Washington Wizards. What what what's going on with this Wizards team? It just seems like a a whole mess. The roster and everything. Obviously, they have a young coach. Not gonna look too much at him, but. The makeup of the roster and everything just seems like an absolute mess over in Washington. So that that's a that's one way to put it bluntly, I guess, an, an absolute mess. I I'd, I'd say politely, it there's definitely a glut of kind of similar players. I mean, they they have a lot of wings here. They just traded for Will Barton. Uh, they have Kyle Kuzma, Rui Hachimura, Danny Avdia, Corey Kispert. It's just a lot of mouths to feed there. They obviously draft Johnny Davis, who I think projects more as a two than a three, but also is probably going to play more on the wing than on ball. Um, so I think there, there's two ways to look at it. I think if you're expecting the Wizards to come out swinging like they did last year, which was hilarious because I, I think it felt like a good three months or so where we were just like, oh my God, the Wizards are top five defense. Like, we can expect, and I, I think a lot of it had to do with the expectations of what we thought they would be, which would be a good defensive team under Wes Unsell Jr. and the defensive talent that they did have on that team to achieve it. So it didn't feel fake, but obviously, you know, that didn't persist throughout the season. Um, and we'll talk about why. But but I think I think we can we can get into this and and talk about some of their players here and and where they might go from this offseason to next year and kind of what went wrong for them last year. And I think we paint a picture that, you know, things aren't necessarily as dysfunctional as it seems. Well, you'd hope not. And you hope that that was, there was more than just a, a feeling of we have to do this. We don't have any other choice when they re-sign Bradley Beal. You have to hope that there's, there's some sort of plan in place to, at least put the team and and Beal in, in a decent position to be able to be on the outskirts of of the playoffs this year. But the the roster around him is interesting. You mentioned the rookie Johnny Davis. Let's let's maybe start with him. He was their mm. lottery pick this year. Twenty year olds, uh, likely likely a two guard. Is six five. Is good good size. Is he going to be a starter? Do you think in this team, no, or is he going to be coming no, off the bench? No, I don't. I don't think you should. Um, and I think this is a situation. This is the kind of team, and he's the kind of player that you need to make him earn his minutes, and he needs to find his role in the NBA offensively because he's not a good off-ball shooter right now. He's he has the the tools like the ball handling and the the physical tools to be a shot creator but that doesn't exist efficiently right now so for a winning nba team that is not a guy that you say hand the ball hand the ball to and just figure it out um if they were tanking if they if they traded off bradley beal they trade off other guys i'd say absolutely go go throw giant david the ball have him shoot 38 percent from the field all year whatever give him give him 12 shots who cares 
But I don't think I don't think on this team that that is recipe for success. And I think there are certain times where you use him, but let's see what he does defensively. And I, and I think that's a skill that he can lean on. If he can be as competitive, as fierce of a competitor defensively as he was in college in the NBA, and he can use his height. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have elite length, doesn't have necessarily elite athleticism, but you saw that he has a strong willingness to defend. And that's something that matters in the NBA. You know, for all the seven-foot wingspan hype that you get on all these players, that doesn't always pan out. But what does usually pan out is that mentality. And it seems like he has that. So I don't think he's going to be a starter, but giving him spot minutes to earn it on defense, I think the opportunity will absolutely be there for a team that started out in the top five in defensive rating and ended 25th. Yeah, it's definitely something that they uh, they need a bit of help with. And even if it's only happening in like 15 or 20 minutes uh, a game with the second unit, he he can make a, an instant impact on the defensive end if if he's healthy, he's got the, that, the, like you mentioned, that competitive spirit. So at least you know he's got that that he can rely on. And it's not just a question of, oh, do we really know what this guy is going to be able to contribute? Maybe he won't be able to contribute much offensively, but his rookie year, let, let him give him that bit of time to figure that out. And while he's doing that, he can still be a, a, a positive defensive impact on this Washington team, which obviously they clearly, clearly need. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about Beal real quick. I think we need to get that out of the way, first and foremost. So I, I think that's probably, not probably, I think that's definitely one of the major reasons for such a sharp decline and such a poor season. Um. And you can go up and down his numbers. It was probably one of his worst years efficiency-wise in recent memory since he became an all-star level player. And, I mean, if you look at his story last year, he had a right hip injury early in the season, dealt with a death in the family, had two stints in COVID, and then he had wrist injury. Like, it was just not a consistent year for him at all. So I, I think I think we kind of wiped the slate clean for him. I, I think this is a season where we don't refer back to it. We we kind of expect that he's going to get back to where he was because last year was just such an outlier in terms of, you know, and, and then you had other guys injured. Rui Hachimura didn't even play for like the first two thirds of the season even. So I think there's just too much influx that I, I think not just Beal, but I think as a team with a brand new coach too, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to say that we can hit kind of a soft reset and reset our expectations and think about them in a new light, given that Beal's going to be healthy. They have a year with this brand new coach who I, I think from a defensive perspective, you know, he still has another shot to prove that he can figure this out. Yeah. I mean, you have to believe that Bradley Beal can get back to the guy that across the two previous seasons, he, he averaged uh, just under 31 points a game. I mean, that just doesn't go away like like what I could appear to last year. You mentioned all the problems he has. It's it's very understandable why he had such a drop off and why the Wizards had such a drop off. And Beal being that way is why you can't judge uh, Wes Unsell Junior too harshly because I mean you go into a job and your best player is basically out for the majority of the season because even when he was healthy, he didn't look like himself at all. So I think, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a bit of a, a reset this year. And the, you look at Beal, you believe that he's still going to be the go-to guy, the go-to scorer on this team. But then you have guys as well, like like Kuzma, like Porzingis, 
and you're thinking how are how are they going to fit alongside Bradley Beal and who who do you view as like the the second star on this team? Is it Kuzma or is it Porzingis? That <laughs> that that's an interesting thing because there's there's two ways to look at this. Um, you know, a lot of people look at Kuzma's All Star numbers, um, their all post All Star break numbers, um, and look at it two ways. One is kind of what you're saying is that you know he's doing it without Beal and he's just got he's playing more minutes than in getting more touches, getting more shots. Um, I think impressively, one thing to note is he had that 20 point, 20 rebound game. That's the first time that's happened since Chris Weber. Um, impressive move there, but he has always done this. So I, I kind of, I'm kind of in the middle on it because I, I don't think that, you know, Kuzma's like a cornerstone guy, but I don't think it's just all, you know, Teams aren't really trying at that period of the year and they're a bad team and you're giving more touches. So obviously he's going to do well. I think he's done that consistently in his career, like without when Anthony Davis is out, when LeBron is out, like, and he is forced to be the guy he's produced. And I think there's something to that now. Like when, when do we possibly think about featuring him more as a player on the offensive end, rather than just always being relegated to being a a secondary piece. You need how 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 much better could this team be if maybe he is more consistently not the guy but getting touches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that that's kind of an interesting thing for the, for the coach to figure out. Obviously, Porzingis came in for what probably probably only the last few months. They came in around about the trade deadline. I think only played about 17 games and 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 looked decent enough as he as he always will over a short period of time. It's when you get to the the longer stretches with Porzingis is when you start start to worry about him then. But I mean Kuzma had had a really good year. His first kind of year away from LA, you're kind of wondering, okay, can you step up now? Can you show what people were always talking about? You had this potential, but never really got to show it. And in plenty of there was plenty of times where he really did put up and show out, and he looked like a, a really dominant star player on this team. It's just a question that the, does the coach believe that, and does he think I got to find this guy some more touches? I guess we'll know come, come the start of the season, and, and maybe even in preseason, we'll be seeing what way this this team is built. Will he look to try and get? more defensively out of Porzingis and just use him as a three as, as a three-point shooter. And then that, that way Kuzma will be able to get more touches alongside alongside Beal. It's going to be really interesting to see what way Wes Unsell Jr. tries to configure this offense. I yeah. And I think that's a good transition point because I, I think that I think that the offensive upside of putting the ball in Kuzma's hands and other players' hands that we'll get to. Um I think that upside is higher than trying to figure out what to do about Chris Porzingis, honestly. And it's, it's not, it's not really a knock on Chris Stapps. It, it, it's more just realizing what his true value is. I mean, the, the value of Chris Stapps, and we'll move on to him here is I, I really, I really think that him being put at the center position is huge for this team. You saw how he's just always been hesitant to play this the center position. He's not one to do it. And he ended up playing 40% of his time at the center position in Dallas. And this is per his request. It just kept going down, kept going down. And in a thousand minutes, 
under Wes Unsell Jr. He played 97% of their, his minutes at the five. And you just have to. I mean, look at the wings on this team. He has to. And what, what can you do for this team, though? And I think this is actually be huge. You have wings that are great cutters. Uh, Corey Kispert, surprisingly, he's among the best in the league. He's, he's a top 10. Um, he's the 90th percentile and above as a cutter. And you got guys like Rui Hachimura. Same thing. He's in the top 10 percentile finishing at the rim guy who can, who needs that space. You got Kyle Kuzma, Will Barton, Johnny Davis is probably going to be a lot better finishing at the rim as opposed to, to shooting Chris Stapps pulling out whoever the big man is on the other team. I mean, spacing the floor like that, even though it's so nominal and seems ridiculous for the price tag that he's at is valuable. And I think that's just what they need to lean on. If this offense starts to become predicated on, finding ways to get him involved in the mid range in the post in places where he's just not efficient and that's not his game. I think you're going to lose out on some of the development that you get from veterans like Kuzma, who I think could do even better and young guys like Denny, like Rui, like um, Johnny Davis, Corey Kisper. There's malice to feed here and it's important to have a little bit more balance than what you had with uh, Porzingis in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, he he just can't he can't demand uh, like the the ball in his hands plays to be made around him anymore. I mean, he was at that in New York. Then obviously the injury we gave him a bit of time then to recover from that. But then he was it was the same in Dallas, and it just never really felt like it worked. And then as soon as he was out of Dallas, things just seemed to pop that a little bit more. So there's just no he has no right to feel that he is entitled to be getting more plays, uh, the offense built around him or anything like that. But like you said, if he can commit to playing that role on this team, it could really help them to succeed. And he could thrive in that sort of position. He gets a lot of looks out of three. He is, a, he can be a great shooter. He doesn't have to be in and around the paint. He can really deter the defense of, of their opposition. It's just a question of can Porzingis accept the role. And hopefully... Wes and Sell can, can get through to him and make him believe in this project and he can finally really find his place in this NBA because uh, unfortunately it's been uh, however long it is now, probably about seven or eight years and he still really hasn't found found his place in this league and hopefully in Washington, his third team, that can be where he finds it. Yeah, and, and I think in particular, this the formula works here in a way because you can play him offensively at the five, and I don't think you suffer too much in terms of rebounding perspective because the you got big wings on this team. I already mentioned all that. You, you got wings that are willing rebounders. You have guards, and I, I think that's uh, going back to Johnny Davis for, for a second. Like that's also a way that I think Johnny Davis can can earn minutes. Being a good rebounder, being a good rebounder in the backcourt. That's something that's going to get him minutes. Um, and it's okay to have to for Porzingis to kind of get what he wants in terms of not having to be, you know, relegated down low defensively, because I think there's enough versatility defensively with the wings that they have enough versatility offensively on the boards on both ends of the court, um, what they can do as screeners, as cutters and getting into the paint that I I think there's a happy medium. There's a balance that can be had with those players. And that's why I think, you know, when you, when you look at this in a traditional sense at, at the roster and all the, um, 
all the weapons that they have and the type of players that they have, it, it does feel like there's too much repetition in terms of the type of player. But if, if Wesson Cell can unlock that synergy between these players that I think can be there, because there is versatility, there is kind of weirdness. There's weirdness to these players. Like Chris Tapps is naturally a weird player. Like finding ways to have Kuzma be a consistent guy. He's, he's a, a weird player at the, a big power forward. He honestly, I think needs the ball in his hands more. Um, that that's that's the key. Right? Who who do you? I mean, talking about these guys in particular, do you, do you see anybody who, in particular, will be a significant X factor for this team? I mean, you're kind of waiting for uh, Danny Odisha to kind of yeah. pop off. I think he's he's tried. Uh, he was trying a lot last year, most to kind of improve his shot, which was still uh, still quite poor. He's he's got playmaking ability. He's got a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. This is his third year. Third year pop off for Denny is 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 it on the cards? Will he will he be a starter on this team? It's it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what way they they consistently try to have the lineup. Because I mean, will they play him as a two alongside Beal with Hachimura, Kuzma, and Porzingis? Then I don't, I'm not sh- too sure what way the lineup's going to configure. But he's definitely one you look at and think this could this could be this could be a year where he really starts to to make make a big impact on, on the roster. Yeah. I think his, his impact at least was already there on the def- defensive end. I think that is the most significant thing um, about him is his defense, his on-ball defense. Like his, his off-ball defense was, was already recorded. I mean, he's, he's smart getting the passings, but his on-ball defense getting on the best players on the opposing team, I don't think that was something that was on the scouting report when he was drafted. Like his, his defense certainly looked there. His instincts were there. The foot speed was kind of a question. The quickness is a question, but he is a fantastic on-ball defender, lockdown defender. And I think over the next five, 10 years, he'll be viewed as among the league's best on-ball defenders on the wing. Um, it's just the defense because I think as a playmaker, um, he's a guy who I think could use more touches. Like he doesn't necessarily even have to shoot better. I think there are lineups that you can put out here. You can put Morris, Beal, Kisper, Rui, guys around him that can shoot the ball, that are good cutters. And I think that he's a good enough decision maker where, I mean, you look on this team, I, I think we'll, we'll get to Monty Morris because I think he's a huge addition as well. But Monty Morris is a reliable playmaker. Beal can be when he's not hunting for a shot. Um, Kuzma's fine. Um, DeLon Wright, again, another guy we'll talk about in a second, but I think he's fine playmaker. I think that, I think that Denny Avdia might be has a potential to be the best passer on this team outside of Monte Morris. And, and I think that there's a lot that can be done with that when you have a playmaker at the four um, with the, again, the type of versatility that they have. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I think that's something we, you've definitely brought up on the podcast before about the potential in his, in his passing and his playmaking. And it's going to be interesting to see him get, if he's able to get those, those few more touches this year and see in what way he can, uh, what way he can pop off in that sense. But I, you talk, you mentioned Morris and Barton. That was the trade that they made. Was it just before or just after the, um, after the draft, they basically got rid of their best three point shooter to add two more very good ones. So in in reality, it was a very good deal, especially because in terms of three point shooting, this team was horrible last year. They were 30th and three pointers made and 26th and three point percentage. But then they've added Porzingis, then they've added Barton, they've added Morris, 
Beal will hopefully get back to a more respectable number in terms of that. Hachimura, can he can he develop again in terms what we saw last year was pretty good. If he can take that up, uh, up just a little bit more, that'd be huge. Kuzma again can do can do a little bit, bit better. That is a very important element, as we all know, in the modern NBA. They knew that was a problem that they had, and they made a very clever move to try and improve that for this team. Yeah. And you know, we, we all know what Will Will Barton brings. Um and I and I think that on on this team, there's going to be times where you need someone to get a bucket. And Will Barton's that guy. I think I that that's actually huge. You know, I, I don't think you can always rely, especially in second units. Like you don't, you're not going to rely on Corey Kispert or, or necessarily Rui Hachimura to put the ball on the floor. John Davis is too young. Delon Wright. That's been a little while since we've seen that, but I think Will Barton brings that aspect. He's, I mean, he's a bucket if you need that. Um, but the shooting of course is there. Monte Morris, I think is, this is potentially one of, one of the best moves they've done in recent memory because, you know, he's a perfect point guard next to Brad Beal. That's how I see it. He compliments him perfectly in a way that obviously John Wall never could. The outside shooting, the pass first mentality, the, the ability to be a playmaker without the ball in your hands. And if, if you need Bradley Beal to have the ball in his hands and to have him operate, Monty Morris is a great motion shooter. You can run him off actions. You can have him space the floor. He can do things without having the ball in his hands. That's huge. But then also you, you don't just think about Beal. You think about um, Chris Asporzingis too. Like you need to make him happy. You need uh, someone to make plays for him. Like I think you rely more on Monty Morris than anyone they've had in recent memory. Daniel Gafford, he's a he's a lob threat, and you haven't had guys like Monte Morris who can reliably kind of create that sort of passing opportunity. So I think on multiple levels, you have guys who are good cutters. You have you have a untapped lob threat and Daniel Gafford and shooters on this team. I think Monte Morris has an opportunity to be featured as a pass first point on this team when on the Nuggets, you know, when Jokic is there, he's doesn't have to do that. But you, you saw that when he had opportunities to do it, he did it at a high level. And he's a guy, too, that I think could make another jump. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're thinking all things come together. Like, what, what, where is where, – what's the ceiling for Washington this year? What's, what's the aim? What, where, what are they aiming to do this season? It's I, I, That's really tough. I mean, it's really tough to figure out this team because even though he said all these positive things, your initial words on this team is like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> That that still remains, I think, because there's there's just too much there's too much to figure out. I think you, you you could get you could go on for a half hour right now coming up with different lineups that probably sound really good on paper. So this all comes down to you know how you know how how do these players accept their roles? How does this come together chemistry wise? How does the coaching staff put them in the right positions? Does the shoot does does like a guy like Riachimara is his shooting was that real? This is all going to prove. And, you, and we all know that we can't predict positive results from every single player up and down the roster. So who's going to make a decline too? I think when you look at all this, I, I don't feel super confident in them being in the playoffs. I think they, they abs- I think they should be a play in team just given that that Beal should return to, should return to his all-star form. I think that Monte Morris, that's a real addition. I think, um, Kuzma's improvement, I think that's real. And the young guys, I think that's where the that's where the X factors come in. And that's that's the biggest thing for me. 
is Corey Kispert. Does he get to being a 40% volume three-point shooter? Like he was drafted to be. That cutting stuff and the defense, being able to play the four, that's really cool. I like that. But can you just shoot? Rihachimura, that's really cool that you shot 45% from three. That's a pretty darn low volume. And you got to play for a whole season. Hopefully he's he's fine. Um, and Danny Advia, like this is that's all hypothetical. Him being a, a great elite passer at the elbow, like that's we have to see it. He's still not a shooter. I don't think that'll pop out of nowhere. So it's funny that this is another one of those teams that I think at baseline they're competing for the the ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth seed. But all things come together. Like this could be a, a crazy, it could be like a darling story for a team like this. They have enough talent, they have enough versatility, they have guys who can play good defense. I think that whatever was lost at the beginning of the season, if that can be re-harnessed, that is something that they can lean on to being a good team in the East where it's so competitive. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree. I think that means it's probably time to to for you to become my, my therapist now and talk talk a bit of New York <laughs> Knicks. Let's talk. Or shall we talk feelings? It's everybody. It's, it's important to to talk about your feelings. It's important to be open. You don't avoid it. You don't avoid it for an entire summer. Perhaps perhaps the entire year. I don't even know how often we even talked about the Knicks this entire season. So I I, I don't know. I, I think it's important to face the uh, the frustrating things first. So I just want to ask you, like, what was for the New York Knicks after having such a surprisingly positive season the year before? Bing bong, everything. What was the most frustrating part of how last season went? I mean, uh, I guess Julius Randle probably has to has mm. to be right up there, considering he had that that great year. He was the most improved player. He really looked like he was going to be a guy who was going to be on the the periphery of being an all star every year, and then everything just dropped off and then that just went through the entire team because the team was still built around him. Uh, Coach Tom Thibodeau was still playing the offense through Julius Randle, even though he was just playing terribly and he never really worked his way out of the slump. And then you saw other players struggle with the efficiency as well. Like RJ Barrett had a very inefficient year. Obviously he was, career high in terms of points and and it was a good year on the whole for him but in terms of efficiency it was it was really bad it, just all around everything that could have gone wrong just seemed to and I mean it took us so long to get back into the playoffs then we had that such a disappointing uh, first round 4-1 loss to the Atlanta Hawks and it just felt like the team just never never recovered from that last year and it just Kept on getting worse. They had those couple of bright sparks. You you remember the RJ Barrett game winner against Boston, and a few other little things like that. But on the whole, it was just just standard life of being a New York Knicks fan. They get your hopes up, and then the very next year they dash them all away. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that I mean another point too that was maybe not a surprise. So I I don't I can't say I was disappointed necessarily because I didn't expect great growth in this kind of environment, but you had an exciting player. You still have an exciting player in Emmanuel quickly. Um, you acquire a guy like Cam Reddish, Obi Toppin's second year. You have some interesting uh, young guys. Obviously we're hearing a lot of noise about how um, good Quentin Grimes has been. Um, and to not see any of them take steps forward, like, RJ Barrett, I think he's made 
establishment. We can talk about him in a minute. That's hopeful. But to not see any of the other young guys make any significant strides, I think that also has to be frustrating because that that's an aspect of this team that I think should and could be very hopeful, very fun to to be a, a young, dynamic team. But um, that just never came to fruition. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was definitely a, a big, a big disappointment last year, and that's just always in my head that Tom Thibodeau just isn't the right coach when you got so many young guys. He's not at, at this time in his career. He's not a guy who's going to be able to or want to be working at bringing in other players. Obviously, it's a lot of pressure because he's dealing with the fact that there's pressure on him to get into the playoffs, but he also has to try and bring through these young guys. It's 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 a tough thing to be able to do. But at the same time, they're they're bringing him back for another year after a really disappointing season. I mean, is there really no other option? Like, I mean, obviously he got us back to the playoffs, but then you're thinking he was the man in charge when everything just completely derailed and he was never really able to make any sort of adjustments to to really give us any sort of hope that it's going to be better going into this new year. Yeah. I think that that's a tough thing. And I, I'm, I'm 50, 50 on it. I mean, I, I myself am mostly a Tibbs guy, um, but I recognize, you know, that the gripes with, you know, being very stringent on his rotations, not doing a lot of things different in terms of inserting players into new roles, especially young players. Um, I don't know. I mean, you got guys like Joakim Noah who blossomed under, under him as a young player. Taj Gibson, who became a great role player under him. Omer Sheik for a minute was, was great on him too. Um, Jimmy Butler grew into a star with him. I think that it just takes, it's probably situational. And for me, it, it, a guy like Cam Reddish, I felt like now attitude is very different from skill, but I think that guys like him, um, guys like Quentin Grimes should slot into that sort of mold of a player that Tibbs would want to grind with. Um, Julius Randle, honestly, is that kind of guy mentality wise that Tibbs wants to grind with. And that's probably why he kept going to him because the Knicks brought in Julius Randle and they asked him if how he felt about having Tibbs. And he wanted Tibbs. He wanted a guy to push him. And obviously that that's one of the more disappointing things about the season. But I. I can't help but dis- to agree with you that. You know, you look, look at the starting lineup. If they if they rock out with Brunson, Fournier, and Randall out there, Mitchell Robinson, I, I if you could have an alternate universe where you brought in a new coach and a new management, and they traded off of Randall, they traded off of Fournier, just whatever they could, just to make room to get Cam Reddish more time, to get Obi Top more time, get Grimes more time, that feels that would be more comforting. And I think you'd come into the season being like refreshed, like, okay, like, I don't know what'll happen, but at least we're giving young guys minutes. And that's something I hope, I hope changes for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it always just feels like there's, there's two sides to Nick's rosters. Like there's like a, a small group and maybe the coach included in that, that are kind of ready and want to be competing for a playoffs, but they also have that other side that, isn't quite ready and just needs help to develop into this league and find their place in this league. And and they're in that, that motion at the moment. They need to just decide this is what we want to do. They, they either have their guy in RJ Barrett. I think so too. This is his coming into his fourth year. He's still only 22 years old, still a very young player, but 
I would much prefer to see him just be able to pop off this year without Julius Randle being there. I know Julius Randle was great when what he did in that uh 1920 or 2021 season, but it just doesn't feel the right fit now, and they need to just give RJ Barrett the reins. It needs to be his team. He had a, a solid year last year. He had some good flashes, like I mentioned, but the efficiency-wise, it was just dreadful. I mean, 40.8% from the field, 44.2% from two, 34.2% from three, and just below 37% on catch-and-shoot opportunities. That's that's not good enough for a guy that you're expecting to be the leader of this team. And I'm looking at him this year and I'm thinking, if you get the opportunity, if they put the ball in his hands rather than Julius Randle's, I'm expecting him to go off. I'm expecting him to be a lot more efficient, a lot more dominant and a lot more demanding of both himself and his teammates. And he should be, people should be questioning if he's not an all-star next year. That That's how good he needs to be and I think should be in a in his fourth year because I'm I mean we've seen him he's working hard we've we heard from coach that there's he's he's putting in the work on the right thing so he should be in a good position to pop off this year. He's gotta go out and take it take it with both hands and I think it'll be a lot easier for him to do that without Julius Randall alongside him. Yeah and this is a number to bring that all together. Um, thank God for Reddit. I, I love Reddit. Reddit's such an awesome place where where everyone can just throw in just the most random stats out there. That and I love how how that's just open for everybody. But R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle are the first teammates in the past forty five years to average more than twenty points per game on less than fifty two percent true shooting. That was a really fancy way of saying that together they were the most inefficient duo in the NBA, not just this year, but in the past five decades rounding up. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a knock on either player. Um, I think that's more a knock on what, how they are paired together, what they do on the court, what kind of spacing they need, how they score the ball. Like that doesn't mesh well. They tried to use RJ Barrett as a, floor spacer that's not his game randall's not a floor spacer they both are operating the paint and i want to bring up some of the new guys here let's talk to new faces jalen brunson's coming to this team so let's say i'd say that at the second half of the season randall took a backseat to barrett most of the time like barrett was much more assertive on the offensive end of the floor now you bring in Jalen Brunson. We're not even just talking personnel. We're just talking about play style. How do you feel like Jalen Brunson affects this team, what he brings to the team? And specifically, since we're, I think we're all in agreement that RJ Barrett's the most hopeful and exciting thing about next season, his growth. How does a guy like that either positively or negatively affect his growth as the lead guy on a team like this? I thought In my head, I'm thinking it, it all kind of breaks down to how truthful it was when we've heard from Brunson and heard from people around his camp that he feels like much more of a playmaker and wanted to do that as part of the Dallas team, but he wasn't, he didn't get the chance because he was playing beside Luka Doncic. 
Yeah. So if he's able to take on a lot more of the responsibility as a playmaker and not be so concerned with 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 scoring, obviously he's still going to be likely the the second uh, second top scorer, if not the lead scorer on this Knicks team. But if he's willing to make plays and not just always be looking for his shot, I think that could really mesh well alongside uh, RJ Barrett because you think of Randall and, and Barrett, you almost think their games are are quite similar. But I think you're looking at Brunson added into that and getting a little bit more ball in his hands. I think he'll add a different dynamic that, that RJ Barrett really needs. That That is interesting. And that's, that's the tough thing. You, you can't look back and necessarily understand who Jalen Brunson can be as a point guard sometimes besides you, his uh, games against the Utah Jazz. If, if you, if you want to look at what Jalen Brunson ball looks like, you can look at that, but that also becomes a little complicated because he had a situation where they could play five out spacing. And as a smaller guy, he was so impressive what he was able to do in the, the mid to low post as a, as a small guard. Um, but as he relied mostly on inside scoring, getting to the bucket, getting to his spots. Um, and it feels like one thing I am concerned about is you want to maximize Jalen Brunson's um, scoring potential because that, I mean, that's why he's making that money. You look at his playoff performance and you think, okay, that's a guy that we want to bring in. Um, but how I, I'm curious how that's going to mesh with Randall and Barrett on the court. I, I I don't I don't know where that meshes. I mean, do, do you do you put Randall in the corner? He's not going to really shoot there. Do you maybe you play them off each other? And Randall is a as a screener. Maybe he hasn't had to be a, a screener in a while. I don't think he's a particularly good screener. I don't think he's a particularly good role man. I think he's a very inefficient pick and pop guy. I mean, all this to say, like I they're, they're going to have to get creative with how they create spacing for all of them all three of them on the court at the same time, or they're really going to have to stagger their minutes heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely <clears throat> one of the, the, the negative side of adding a guy like Brunson and thinking about what his, his main strengths are as well. I think you could, you could be a bit more confident in Barrett's ability to kind of be out in the wing or in the corner. He could, he can, his shooting can definitely, can definitely improve more so than you think of with Randall. But it is something that they're all going to have to make adjustments, and it's just going to be a question of can they make the right adjustments to actually get to see it on the court and actually bring some sort of success on the floor this this season? Because, I mean, you're kind of looking at it and you're thinking, as the roster is right now, you're kind of thinking playing tournament 39 to 42 wins is probably the highest mark that this, this Knicks team can get in what is a very competitive Eastern conference. Yeah. I, I think this should be a year of no expectations. It should be a year of no expectations for this team. Cause I think it is important to, to get these young guys more involved um, and figure out where, where Jalen Brunson belongs. Um, and I, I will say though, to, to, to counter myself, cause I don't think it's all doom and gloom about how are these three guys going to work together. Brunson's a, a much better three point shooter than, any of the guards that they have on the team right now. Um, and I think that he can at least space the floor 
in a way, and he can play. And I think the encouraging thing is you saw how he played off of Luka Doncic off ball. And if you want to get RJ Barrett more of an on ball guy, I, I think you can do that with a point guard like Brunson and that, that, that can mesh. Um, I, I do want to ask for final expectations for, for RJ Barrett, the improvement that he made last year. Um, what is one thing this offseason, if you could add to his game, that he would come into next season doing well, what would that be? I guess just the, the shooting and the score. I think yeah, more shooting at the, the mid-range and from three, I think that's kind of an area that I like. Obviously, you want to see him be a bit more of a better playmaker because if he's going to be a star, he's going to have to have the ball in his hands more. But you'd like to see him be a much more efficient shooter, both in the mid-range and, and from beyond the air. Because I think that's a... a an important step because if he's going to boost up those numbers, he's got to be a much more efficient scorer. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's actually, that's a really important point. Um, Cause in my mind, I, I'm thinking between is he's a better passer because he, he's always, it's always been that potential. Oh, he can be a great passer. He can be a really great playmaker for others. Um, but then you kind of like balance that off of him being more assertive because you really want him to, to use his, ability to create space with his athleticism and his long strides and get to the rim and just score, like have the mentality of scoring. See those two things as young players, it's hard to balance out. You see how Jason Tatum's just finally, finally getting to that point this season. Um, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I think I'd, I'd want to see him be more aggressive and put, get more moves in your back to create that space and shoot, get a sidestep three, get your pull up mid range game, get, get into the post and get, get a good fadeaway, like find ways to, to score in that aspect. Because I think Jalen Brunson, another way that I think they can synergize is if he can be a floor general, if he can manage to flow the game and help RJ Barrett, you know, if, if there are moments where RJ Barrett is maybe taking too many shots, you have Jalen Brunson to kind of balance that out, to get other guys touches, to, to get things in line. And you can allow RJ this year to experiment with being a go-to scorer as opposed to having him do everything at once. Cause that, that's not easy. You know, you're finally scratching the surface of your potential as a scorer and then you have to bounce that and try and be a decision maker and regulate the flow of the game and pass the ball. That's not something I think he's ready for now. So I'd agree with that. Yeah. It's also one, one reason why I would like almost wouldn't be too disappointed if we weren't to make a trade for a guy like, Donovan mm, Mitchell, I'd like yeah. to see Barrett just get this year as the lead guy playing alongside Brunson and let's let's see what he can do before making a move like that. But of course, at the same time, you're like a guy like Donovan Mitchell becomes available. The, the Knicks, if the move is there, the Knicks, then they have they have to be involved at the same time. Yeah. I, I need to ask about Obi Top. I mean, is, is he on your list of hopefuls next year? I, I, th I think we, we can list Quinton Grant. I think that's that's a community agreements that Quentin Grimes is like this darling young player now after his off season. Hope he doesn't disappoint. Great, great, great shooter. Yeah. Great shooter. Great defender. Um, but what about Obi Toppin? There's not a lot of hype or noise or hope around him. Can you speak some hope for that guy on his team? I mean, just, just remember those last two games that he played last season, 35 mm. points against the wizards, 42 points against the Raptors. Both in wins for the Knicks. Obviously, you say what you want, whatever. Like Raptors probably rest the players for the playoffs. Wizards were a bit of a mess. No, I mean, didn't they? Didn't they start most of their guys? Did they have? 
Was that a rest game for them? I, I can't even remember. I'm just, I'm just saying that's what most people probably think when they think it was of tight that, seating. I don't think they would have yeah, that that situation, but he showed he's got the ability and he's only going to, he's still, this is only his third year. Obviously he's a little bit older. He'd be 20, 24 years old, but Toppin has got a lot of ability. He's got great athleticism. He's got the ability to score the basketball. I think we're going to see him get a lot more minutes this year. And like, obviously that could change possibly if a trade goes down yet. If you think Randall's not on this team anymore, that's Obi Toppin. That's a, that's the position that he wants to be playing in at the four. Most likely that, that opens up for him. But I think even with Randall on the team, I still believe that he should be getting more minutes because he's that kind of grafter as well, who can develop under a coach like Tom Thibodeau, and I think he likes playing under him. He's always been kind of on the periphery, showing like flashes of athleticism and different things like that. If he can become that little bit more of a two-way player and a, and a decent, a really decent scoring threat off the bench, that's definitely possible this year. And I, I think we could see that come if he's given the opportunity in the right sort of situation as part of the rotation. Yeah, in those last 10 games... 45% from three on nearly six attempts, 58% from the field on 13 overall attempts. Scored 20 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists. The last 10 games, you know, it's, you don't take a lot from that, but I think what you do take is that you gave him opportunities to score the basketball inside out. I think he flashed that inside out potential and you know, he produced and it, it wasn't inefficient. It wasn't just like raw numbers. I think that, that that's a tough part you mentioned Randall that where does he kind of place out here um are there any other players that you're hopeful for next year any growth I mean I guess you look at, at Fournier can he just be a bit more consistent obviously he was a good three-point shooter for us last year outside of that there wasn't a whole lot there I mean give us a bit more reason why we gave you that night that nice contract you're thinking can Emmanuel quickly become a more efficient scorer on this team what can we? What are we going to see from Isaiah Hartenstein and Jericho Sims? Are we going to see some more minutes for them? How is it going to work with Robinson? Obviously, they paid the money to get him back. I, you're almost kind of thinking, obviously, they they're not going to be able to trade him now for a while after bringing him back on that contract. But you're kind of thinking the the way that they brought Hartenstein and the way that Sims has has shown the flashes in in his limited time, they were kind of almost preparing for playing without Mitchell Robinson but then I guess something clicked and they and they wanted to bring him back but I think they're they're ready if they it was a it was a your two bigs were Hartenstein and Sims I think you'd definitely be happy with that especially seeing Sims get some more minutes because I mean Robinson as much as you want to believe he can be a really great paint defender and a good lob threat we haven't we haven't seen enough of it as of yet and he's just he's just not on the floor enough obviously we, we obviously yeah. talked about that before but <laughs> he is so he is very injury prone. You cannot I still don't think you can rely enough on him for what he produces. It's not it's it wouldn't be worth the risk. And it'd be better to see a guy like Sims get some more minutes. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, after we've been talking about, you know, the the depth at every position, I think that's a that's a positive here. The, the positive of this team, and one reason to be hopeful is you go up and down the roster and there is you know, maybe not depth necessarily in terms of like real NBA production depth, but in terms of talent, I, I think you can, you, you did see things. Just, I agree with that. I, you, you see that he's a much more versatile athlete. Um, 
but I think both Robinson and Hardenstein, I think they're both good for different reasons. Um, both of them are fantastic rim protectors. You know, Tibbs needs that. Um, Hardenstein's a great passer. And you look up and down the, the forward position, guys are deep there. And there are guys with things to prove. And it, not everyone's going to pop. But I think it would be – I would be shocked next year if you don't have a breakout year from any for somebody on this team. There's, there's just too much – I think there's too much actually – good young talent on this team for someone to not figure that out with or without the express approval of, of Tom Thibodeau. I, I think they'll have to force their way into that. Um, I think the forgotten guy is still Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish is, I forgot, is he getting at minutes? Cause I still really, really believe in his talent. I do. I think there's too much untapped potential there. Um, honing that is the difficult part, but and even a guy like him, that if the end of the season, like the storyline is Cam Reddish reclaimed his status as blue chip talent. And now he's, and now RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish are two like Duke friends now competing for the playoffs on the same team in New York. I, I don't know. There, there's two, there are ways if you just like squint, if you squint really hard and you look at this roster and you think ahead 10 months from now, you could have a really deep group of young guys who have coalesced and have, have found a way to play together after a train wreck of a season last year. Cause I don't think it gets worse. I think it only gets better. Yeah. I think it, I, I'd be, I would be very like, it'd be really, really shocking if it's, if it's as bad as it was last year, it might not be a major improvement, but they'll definitely, they're obviously six games back on the play in last year and nine games back on the top six. I don't think it'll be that bad this year. I think they'll be right in there and competing for the, the eight, nine, ten seed, no, no doubt about that. If it all comes together, it could be a bit better. On uh, you mentioned too, the kind of the newer faces, uh, Hartenstein. One thing we could see from him, he's shown flashes of being able to to space the floor a little bit. Which, if that's something that can be developed on, that would be helpful for this team. When you talk about guys like Brunson and like Barrett and Randall and how they like to to get the most of their points, so that could be uh, be a reason why he gets more minutes. And Cam Reddish is just going to be interesting to see what he can show Tom Thibodeau, uh, obviously in training camp and in, in the preseason and show him that there's a reason why he traded for me. There's a reason why there was always a decent hype about me. He's, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to prove it to the coach to get, to get on this floor. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both these teams, the Wizards and the Knicks, these are two teams that, you know, for all the players we talked about, all the, possibilities of young players getting in and out, getting minutes, getting touches. So much of this is going to come down to training camp. Um, and that's, that'll be really interesting to follow for, I think these are two teams, you know, so, some training camps are kind of boring. Like you already know, like Bulls, for example, like, you know, who's going to be the starters, like, you know, maybe there'll be some guys competing more for rotation minutes, but for the Knicks, for the Wizards, these are two teams that guys are going to be competing. And that, that's a good thing. Like, you don't, the confusion that you, that you, I think fans have of like looking at a team and not knowing who's going to start where, like, again, like to have that prop, that's a good luxury to have when you have a culture of, of competition and you need to, to get there. That that's something that in the early goings for a developing team, that's not a bad thing, not, not a bad problem to have. So are we hopeful? Are we a little bit hopeful? Do we feel a little bit better? Yeah, I feel, I feel, I, feel, I think my therapy session worked a bit there. I think okay. it uh, brought out, brought out the true feelings. I think there's a little, there, there's definitely, more hope there than I guess I probably have when I was uh, putting it off for so long. <laughs> yeah. 
again, just, just squints, squints really hard. And RJ Barrett, first time all-star and Cam Reddish starter, Jalen Brunson is, is even better than he was talking to eight seed. Maybe, maybe they, they surprised two years ago. Why can't they surprise again? Too right. Too right. Um, man, this just shows like how the Eastern conference is crazy. Like we, we can look at every single one of these teams and it's obviously, except for the, the three teams you covered yesterday, I think it's pretty clear that even the middle of the pack, the lower middle of the pack, that play-in spot is going to be insane. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really funny too, because there's a, there's a chance that the teams that are out by just like a half game or like a tiebreaker or something like that out of the playoffs. And then they're in the, the lottery then you then you just jump up the lottery. You, you get like a Pelican season where you all of a sudden you got the number one pick and you're picking Victor Wembanyama. You're like, oh, playoffs. Who cares about that? <laughs> like, <laughs> is is tanking really going to happen in a season where they're they're just mere probably one two games separated by every seed? I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of one of the more interesting things. Like you think about, there's probably at least two or three teams across across the NBA that are definitely planning on absolutely tearing apart and tanking this year but the fact that some of the competitors could be in a very decent position to uh, to end up high in the lottery as well it's gonna it's gonna be really interesting to see how this whole whole year pans out and we move over to the west next which is just as stacked it's it's kind of crazy yeah man that, that'll that'll lead to some of the worst what ifs ever where like the, the wizards are like oh my god if we only lost two games we wouldn't have had to get swept by the bucks and then miss out on Victor Reminyama. <laughs> but at any rate, I we still didn't cover the Nets, obviously, for obvious reasons. And of course, if we post this, God forbid, or not God forbid, I mean, if, if Mitchell Robinson or if uh, Donovan Mitchell gets traded to the Knicks, and I, I think you're you're totally fine scrapping this podcast. But at any rate, thanks everybody for not just joining us on this podcast, but joining us for our tour of the Eastern Conference, Suns Nets. Uh, we look forward to doing this again for the Western Conference as we get you through the dog days, get you through the rest of summer, and we'll be back with more content very soon. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.